There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, this is episode 186, 186. That's a lot of episodes. It's a lot of episodes. We have only missed a couple of weeks over the last three or four years, really. But for today's episode, we're going to talk about the wrap-up of 2023 because we're right at the end of the year we here are. now. Yeah, right? you bet. And there's been a lot of people talking about everything in the news these days, all the headlines, whether it be financial or non-financial, war or non-war. There's a lot going on. There right? is. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a lot of people that think that whatever's happening right now will be permanent. That's the normal thing. The recency bias. Yeah. And yeah, we know yeah. it's not true. That's right. But we wanted for today to review the biggest financial stories of 2023 and then maybe end off with a couple of non-financial items just for fun. Yeah, right on. So what were some of the biggest ones to start us off with this year, Greg? Well, so let's go back to March. If anyone can remember back that far, basically there was a series of bank collapses that led to the largest banking crisis in the past couple of decades. I guess the first to go was Silicon Valley Bank, then First Republic Bank and Signature Bank. And those basically became the second, third, and fourth largest bank failures in the U.S. history. And that eclipsed even the scale of what happened back in 2008, just because of the size of these banks over how much they've grown since the great financial crisis. Yeah, but before anybody gets too worried about it, haven't there been 600 bank failures in the U.S. That's in the right. last 30 years? Yeah, and, and we talked about that. And there have been lots of bank failures. I think the thing about what happened in March is just the size of these banks that went under. And what's interesting, of course, and we did talk about this a number of months ago, was just the reasons why these banks went under. And again, the reasons weren't insolvency. The reasons were because fear on the part of depositors that something might go wrong, sort of a mass exodus of depositors. And that, of course, leads to what essentially is a bank run. But these days, bank runs are digital. You can transfer money with the push of a button. And the banks, their assets were locked up in non-liquid type investments like long-term government bonds, which were down significantly in value, which is another thing we'll talk about. So the banks ended up failing. It wasn't just in the U.S. either. There was some concerns more worldwide with Credit Suisse. You oh, know, you have to say Credit Suisse. Oh, sorry, Credit Suisse basically collapsed and was bought by UBS Group, their competitor, back on March 19th. And that was a very significant Swiss bank. There was a real fear that this could lead to more and more bank failures. As it turns out, it didn't. But a lot of people talked about when Credit Suisse was taken over by UBS was that Credit Suisse was that one bank that never really recovered from the global financial crisis of 2008 to 2010. But it's interesting. It's an old bank, right? I mean, it was around a long time and UBS has been around a long time. I think where it comes into play in Canada is that I don't know. Are we really concerned about a Canadian bank failing anytime soon? I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, there's very tight regulations in Canada. You know, the Canadian banks are generally seen as being extremely strong, solvent, strong capital ratios, etc. 
We never say never, but for the most part, I think people can be pretty confident in the strength of our banks. Anyways, that one happened. That did. We continued with the biggest bond bear market ever. Most people will remember that 2022 was an extremely bad year for bonds. I think the bond indexes were down, you know, 11 to 12%. Those are just the broad indexes during 2022. And that continued into 2023. You know, at one point, U.S. treasuries had lost almost a quarter of the value since yields basically bottomed out back in 2020, post-COVID. So that was big. For a lot of people that hoped for the recovery in bonds, it took a long time. Now, as it turns out, there was a real turning point in November. Late October, we saw the U.S. 10-year bond at 5%, which was seen as a very psychological point, breaking 5% for the first time in a long, long time. And then November saw a complete turnaround in that. And by the end of November, the Canadian bond indexes were up about 32 to 3.4%, and same in the U.S. And so bonds may have reached the turning point, and hopefully we can get through the very final days of 2023 and have a positive return on bonds for the first time in three. Well, and I think anybody that was questioning, like, why do I own these bonds? They're supposed to protect me when stock markets go down. And we had a lot of that this last 18 or so months. But if you go back to that global financial crisis of 2008, 2010, or 2011, whatever those were again, I guess I've kind of blocked out the exact dates. Although March 9th of 2009 was the absolute low. It was. Always remember that. At that time, bonds were down 20%. And so all it's shown is that during times of hyper volatility, the bond market will trade in the same direction as the stock market, but it will recover. And I think this is where people sort of don't have a good understanding of bonds is that those bonds have defined lives and they have to mature at par. And so even though the price goes down in a shorter period of time, and you could argue 18 months to some, they'd say, well, that's not a short period of time. I would say, yes, it is. Yes, you could have two babies in 18 months, but probably not going to. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, Interesting analogy, but I'll go with it. But it is really a short period of time and those bonds all have to mature at par. Exactly. Okay. So what else happened? Well, this is more a US problem than it is a Canadian problem, but it turned out to be very newsworthy. And that was the whole US debt ceiling crisis. So basically back in January of last year, January 19th, the US reached its debt ceiling. Now that wasn't the point at which they ran out of money, but that was the point at which they reached the debt ceiling and they had money that they could move around from within the overall budget. But basically by June 5th, which was the X date, that's when the U.S. was projected to run out of money, the Congress finally came to a solution two days before that. It's the brinkmanship continues, you know, in the U.S. government, the U.S. Congress, but it certainly put everyone on edge. And had they actually not solved that debt ceiling problem, then there would have been significant repercussions. Yeah, I think the biggest thing to understand there is that the U.S. is one of the only countries in the world that has a debt ceiling. Most countries don't. So the fact that they have to negotiate the debt ceiling is kind of like you negotiating with your credit card company to raise your credit limit. And in this case, it's all political. Because everything that they're funding under that debt ceiling are things like social programs. These are already things that they need to fund. I don't know. Seems to be much to do about nothing. Like, I don't know. I remember a lot of people calling in and saying, well, what's going to happen when they run out of money? And we were like, I guarantee you they're going to get a deal. Yeah, It just will happen. And guess what? It's happening again right now. It's come up again. 
So round 412. That's right. In January, they have to deal with it again because they just keep kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Oh, and I said round 412. But actually, I think the number is that that debt ceiling has been raised something like 90 times in the last, I don't know, 70 years or something. So it's not unusual for it to no, be raised. No, not at all. All right. What's next? Well, one of the things that happened was there was money market funds basically soared to record highs as some people decided that they had to get out of stocks and bonds and just park their money. And with good reason, I mean, money market funds, which essentially pay interest at the short-term rate, were paying very high yields, you know, over 5% on money market funds. So there is lots of reason to see that. But one of the things I always like to talk about when they say, well, lots of money is heading for the sidelines, is the fact that there are no sidelines. And the fact that Many people are putting their money, taking them out of the markets and putting into money market funds just means other people are taking money and putting that money into stocks and bonds. As we've talked before, there has to be a buyer for every seller every time. So there's not really any sidelines. Whoever sold their stocks and put money into money market funds was just offset by somebody who sold their cash holdings or their money market funds and bought stocks and bonds. Yeah, somebody always sees opportunity where somebody else has given up. Absolutely. I mean, That's a really critical point. In order for that transaction to occur, as you say, there has to be a buyer for every seller and vice versa, or the transaction doesn't occur. I mean, it's like my neighbor's trying to sell his house for way more than it's worth. Guess what? It's not selling because there's no buyer that's meeting him at his price. But in this case, there is. Now, the other thing about money market funds that I don't think people get is these are really just short-term debt instruments, which essentially are, well, it's fixed income. It's just that they're 30-day fixed income notes or things that are maturing in the next 30 or so days. So if the yield curve has inverted, which it did, and as you say, the short-term money pays more than the long-term money because interest rates had gone up dramatically last year, which caused the price of bonds to go down dramatically, causing the short-term yields to increase dramatically. I don't know where I'm going with this other than well, just, I think, just give I a think general the, understanding. Well, I think the point is that you know it's understandable that people get scared and worry about the future and want to park their money in something that seemed to be safe. The problem is, as we've always talked about, is that for people that do that, what they're really doing is market timing. And they're saying, okay, well, I'm going to get out of the market, whether it's stocks or bonds now, and wait until things improve. Well, by the time things improve, not only will your stocks and bonds have moved up in value, but your money market funds might be paying a lot less than they are today. Wait, it sounds like you're not recommending that people do market timing. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, good. Do not do market timing. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, okay, what else happened? Well, I mean, listen, interest rates got high. They got higher. And central banks who were raising interest rates through till about the middle of the year anyway. And so as that happens, then that, of course, has an impact on people's views and on their sentiment. The University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index sort of hung around historic lows through much of the year. That's understandable. Consumer sentiment, though, can be an indicator of the direction of the markets. And sometimes when consumer sentiment is at its lowest point, that often is associated with highest opportunity. Yeah, that's what Warren Buffett says, when everybody's fearful, be greedy, and when everybody's greedy, be fearful, is kind of what you're describing. Well, interest rates went up a lot. In the U.S., the prime rate is something like 8.5% right now. And so now you've got them talking about interest rate cuts in 2024, And some are saying there might be four cuts, maybe. But so if they go four cuts at 0.25% per cut, it brings down the borrowing cost from eight and a half to seven and a half, which is still a lot higher than it was three years ago. But you also see this sensitivity to interest rates because 
and particularly in the U.S., you see mortgage originations. They spike when interest rates come down, as they have recently, like sort of all of November and into December. And they drop off when interest rates go up. But that makes sense because your borrowing costs Of course. Up. Yeah. Absolutely. And in the U.S., of course, people are able to lock in mortgage rates for 30 years. And so you would obviously want to take advantage of rates as they come down. Well, there is that thing in the U.S., very popular item is to refinance your mortgage when rates go down. Absolutely. And to take money out of your house. And it's very different than in Canada because there's also an incentive to always have a mortgage in the U.S. because you can write the interest of the mortgage off on your personal tax return. And we can't do that here. And not only that, we're forced to renew our mortgages every five years or so, maybe seven years at the longest. And that's what's happening right now as we go into 2024, 25, is a lot of people that took out mortgages three and four years ago at very low rates at the time are going to have to remortgage higher. They talk about the mortgage cliff approaching, and that could have a big impact if rates don't start coming down. Lots of labor strikes last year that affected both Canada and the U.S., talking primarily about the auto workers, and that had an impact on the stocks of the major car makers like General Motors, Delantis, Ford. Some of the agreements that finally put those strikes to an end are going to cost these automakers a lot of money. Good for the workers. You know, the workers basically bit the bullet in 2008, 2009 to keep the automakers afloat. They felt they had to make up some ground, but the net result of it is a lot higher costs, obviously, for the big automakers. Yeah, but I'm kind of with the automaker employees on this. If you pay them more money, then there's more money to circulate in the economy, which actually then stimulates the economy. Maybe it comes at the profitability of Ford and Stellantis and those likes, but they don't seem to be doing too bad. The biggest issue is labor costs certainly can be inflationary. You've got the central banks trying to stem inflation. Then you've got these inflationary things like labor settlements and stuff like that. You know, a different labor market that really rattled my household was the Hollywood Studios thing, the Screen Actors Guilds and all that. We're big TV people and you start to wonder, hey, when Netflix runs out of shows to watch, what are you going to watch next? That's right. And listen, I have friends involved in the movie business in Canada and essentially, you know, movie production in Canada, which is a big thing. A lot of Hollywood studios have lots of production going on in Canada. And basically that all came to a standstill. Yeah, dried up. You know, until the writers strike was settled and the Screen Actors Guild was settled. So lots going on in the labor front last year. Okay, well, we probably should mention artificial intelligence or AI. Oh, you got to call it generative artificial intelligence. Generative AI. Okay. So many people will have played around with OpenAI, which is backed by Microsoft. And OpenAI is the company that launched ChatGPT. But they weren't the only ones. And a lot of the big tech players rolled out AI-powered tools, products, services, things like that last year. And as a result, you saw some big impact on stocks of companies involved in AI. The biggest one of note last year, not from a company size standpoint, but just from the impact was NVIDIA, which makes chips for AI powered software. But Microsoft, Alphabet, Meta, Amazon were all benefiting from the interest in AI. And lots of them had their share prices were up double digits. But if you looked at NVIDIA specifically, at the end of last year, 2022, NVIDIA was trading at about $146. And by November 21st of this year, it was trading over 500. I call that a return. It's pretty big. And of course, that has garnered a lot of attention from everybody. So now 
everything and everybody's talking about how they're implementing AI into their business practices, which may or may not be true. It's very topical right now, but I can see it. And this conference I always talk about, Future Proof, that I attended in Huntington Beach back in September, that's all they talked about this year was AI and the changes that are going to occur over the next three years to the point where we even had a chief AI officer from a publicly traded company on our show, this show, to talk about generative AI. That was a fun conversation. Exactly. And I missed it. Well, I didn't miss it. I wasn't here to record it. Wait, Greg, are we recommending that people go back and listen to episodes that they may have missed? We absolutely are. Of course. This is like our own little white paper library of items. Exactly. Well, this is something interesting. So we had a client talking about, well, what's the best performing stock market in the world? And it turns out that last year, Denmark was the best performing stock market in the world. No, no. I'm going to argue Denmark was not the best performing stock market in the world. It's just that one company was the best performing stock. And what was that company, Colin? Oh, I don't know. Maybe Novo Nordisk? Exactly. So the demand for weight loss drugs basically drove Novo Nordisk to become Europe's most valuable stock, most valuable company. It happens to be the largest company listed on the Danish stock exchange. And even though it's limited to a 20% market cap in the Danish stock market, much like names like Nortel were back in the good old days in What's Canada. What's a Nortel? What's a yeah, Nortel? Exactly. But because of that, it had a big impact on the overall performance. And that's because of what's happening with this demand for weight loss drugs. Novo Nordisk makes one called Wigovi, and the other big one that people know about is Ozempic. And these are drugs that were originally developed to treat diabetes, but it turns out that they have significant abilities to help people lose weight. And for people that have struggled with weight loss, it's the perfect solution. Now with Ozempic, it's an injectable. I think Wigovi is coming out with a pill or something. But the bottom line is, given that their impact on weight loss, which is substantial, there's been massive demand for these drugs to a point where the drugs are actually becoming very scarce. It's hard to get them, even if you need them for diabetes, because they're so popular for weight loss. But clearly, as you'd expect, any company that makes drugs that will have that kind of impact on the ability to lose weight without really trying, that's an obvious winner. But you and I talked about this. Okay, I get that these drugs are helping people lose weight and essentially making them healthier because they're not carrying so much body mass doesn't necessarily make them healthy people. No. There's a reason why people lift weights and exercise and do cardio. You don't strengthen your heart by taking a pill. I don't know, maybe you can. Well, you might, I think you reduce cardiac risk. I think there's been some evidence of that. But no, absolutely. I mean, but listen, for people that do struggle with weight loss and have struggled a long time with weight loss, it's pretty much a panacea. But big impact and big story as far as the value of that particular stock. The last thing I want to talk about for 2023 was just the recession that never happened. People have been predicting a recession now for well over a year and a half. It could still be out there waiting. It hasn't happened in the U.S. It it certainly hasn't happened yet. I think the most recent GDP number, a quarterly GDP number for the U.S. was something like 4.9% or something. So that doesn't sound like a recession to me. Canada's in a little worse situation, and Canada may well be in a technical recession as we speak. I think the last couple of GDP numbers were very soft. But at this point, the fears of a recession, the indicators of a recession, things like the inverted yield curve, so far have not triggered the recession. Impossible to say whether or not there will be a recession. We hope not. 
but the world has been through many recessions before and will go through many recessions again. It's all part of the business cycle and usually sticking to strategy, staying invested, whether there's a recession or not, it will pass. I'm going to argue that we actually have been through a recession, Greg, because we've had the economic definition of a recession occur already, two quarters of negative GDP growth. We had the yield curve invert dramatically. Yeah, for the last year and a half. And has since flattened, which is actually an indicator that we're coming out of a recession. So the fact that somebody hasn't called it a recession yet, I don't think means that we haven't been through a recession. It's just that they say, well, you can't technically have a recession if you have job growth. Anyways, that's a whole argument in itself. But there's one other item that we should mention as a top news item in the financial world for 2023. And that's cryptocurrency, Greg. Oh, good old cryptocurrency. Yeah. And we're not here to promote crypto. Not at all. But we can't ignore it either because Bitcoin right now is at 42,000 US dollars. And that's the highest it's been since 2022. I think it peaked at about $60,000 or so per coin. And then at the bottom, it wasn't it down around 20 or 22,000, something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. It was pretty low. Just like my voice has just changed. Exactly. <laughs> Finally, we've been waiting for that to happen all these years. I don't know what happened there. Anyways, the reason I bring it up is that crypto is a fascinating area. We saw the maturation of decentralized finance or DeFi platforms, which brought new opportunities and risks. Governments globally are making strides in regulating the crypto space, which has been unregulated to date. This is influencing market dynamics, and you're seeing it. The reason Bitcoin is at 42000 bucks is because in the U.S., they're launching their first ETFs that are linked to Bitcoin. Yeah. There's an interesting book that came out last year, Greg. It was on the crypto space, and it was called Number Go Up. Have you heard of it? I have not. <laughs> so the reason it's called Number Go Up is that somebody out there was talking about why the price of Bitcoin goes up. And the way it was described to them was it goes up because other people see it going up, so then it goes up more. And so they called the book Number Go Up. Yeah, okay, yeah. (laughs) Well, and listen, and crypto, I think what happens is people conflate certain things, like they compare cryptocurrency and Bitcoin to decentralized finance. And those are very different things. They also confuse it with blockchain, you know, so that blockchain technology is incredibly powerful, but there's lots of debate about whether Bitcoins or cryptocurrencies are actually worth anything. They're only worth what somebody's willing to pay at the time, and in a way they're like digital gold. They have no use, unlike gold, which has a moderate use in jewelry or something like that, and cryptocurrencies have actually no use whatsoever. Well, you haven't heard about NFTs lately, have you? No, that's another one of those creating something from nothing. Well, I think to buy an NFT, you actually had to buy cryptocurrency of some form and then use it to buy the NFT. And what's interesting, and we won't go through it today, but if anyone's interested in various people's views on cryptocurrency, just look up Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner who just passed away, and he had some very colorful descriptions of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Feel free to have a look at that and see what he thought about cryptocurrency. All right, well, let's end off the episode today with some other top things. Those are top financial things. Let's talk about, I don't know, top music artists for 2023. Who do you think the two top music artists were for 2023? Well, I'm pretty sure that I know who the number one was, and that was T-Swift. Yep. And you're something of a Swifty yourself, I'm aren't not, you? I'm, well, you know what? I appreciate her storytelling, okay. for sure. But it was described to me recently that this is Taylor Swift's world, and the rest of us are just living in it. So that's interesting. 
And the other one was Morgan Wallen, which is like a huge country star now. That's what Apple told me anyways, is the top okay. music artist. Right on. Top movies this past year, just the top two. Do you have any idea what they might be? Oh, gee, I don't know. Nope, I don't. Their list I got was Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh, yeah. With Leonardo DiCaprio and Oppenheimer. Okay. Which I have not yet seen. I've seen Oppenheimer. It was very good. I have not seen the other one yet, but it looked a little depressing to me, so I may have to work on that one. <laughs> well, and what about the top TV shows, again, per a random list that I sourced on the interweb? I don't know. Well, one was filmed partly in Calgary. It was The Last of Us. Oh, yeah. That was a very good that show. That was a great show. And another one was The Bear, which I have which not seen. Which is an excellent show. You've liked it. Blair's liked it. Going to have to watch that one. Top vehicle sales in the U.S. We're just going to go through the first five. Okay, so Ford F-Series, number one. Chevy Silverado, number two. Dodge Ram pickup trucks, number three. Wow. Interesting that the top three are pickup trucks. And I'm sure this is a U.S. It is U.S. This is as per car and driver, okay. which would yep. be U.S. But number four was a Toyota RAV4, and number five was a Tesla Model Y. That's interesting. The Model Y is kind of Tesla's SUV. And when you read reviews on the Model Y, the reviewers are not that big on it. But apparently people are big on it because they're buying it in fairly large numbers. Speaking of people, top podcast listening locations of the free lunch geographically. What do you think the top three are? I'm going to go with Canada. Yep. Number one. Number two, I don't know, I guess the US. Yep. Number three, I would have no idea. India. India. But there were listeners in 65 different countries that listened to this podcast, including places like Mexico, Romania, Guam, Zimbabwe. So those are interesting. That's pretty wild. And the top four episodes of the year by listening, listenership. Go for it. Number one was, are we headed into a growth recession? Okay. I can understand that. Yeah. Number two was, are we headed for a global financial crisis Two People want to know what lies ahead. Now, those top two actually align with the fact that people tend to gravitate towards negative headlines. Number three was what's on your bucket list. That's interesting. And then number four, there were a couple episodes about picking stocks and probability. Right. Okay. So I guess people still want to know that. Yeah, right on. That's so it. So that's it. 2023 in a nutshell. Yeah. 2023 is hindsight. You know, no, it seemed, you can't say it that seemed, anymore. It seemed to last longer than the last 30 minutes. Well, it did. It was 365 days. Right. That's how long right. the year was. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> 24 hours a day for I appreciate you clearing that up for me. <laughs> Wait, well, what do you mean? Like the year felt longer? I'm just saying that you can do a quick wrap up, but there was a lot going on last year that we didn't talk about. Oh, we didn't get into the various factions of war and atrocities that are being occurred, which I have a hard time rationalizing much of that. We didn't get into U.S. politics, really. No. And that's that's really, it's not what we want to talk about on this podcast. No. Unfortunately, we have to live it in real time. So let's save this podcast for stuff that we can control. For sure. Well, what can we control? We can control asset allocation, diversification, uh, minimize your fees and expenses. Have a plan, make a plan, stick to it. Stay invested. Those things you have control over. That's right. Whether or not, I don't know. Somebody dies from a weight loss drug. I have no control yeah, over. Exactly. Not that that's going to happen. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Is this our last episode of the year? This is it for 2023. We'll be back in 2024. Look forward to it. I always like the even years. 
It's going to be a good one. Right on. All right. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Woodgundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Woodgundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.